1: Well welcome to another Church Society podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I'm one of the regional directors uh, at Church Society looking after mainly the uh, west and the southwest and on the other end of the line I've got Andrew Towner who I'm sure many of you will recognize his name if not him. He is the chair of Church Society but more importantly than that he's a minister of a church up in Carlisle Diocese. I'll get him to say something about that in a minute but also he's the director of the board of education for the diocese up there. And that got me thinking, most of us have engagement with church schools. If you're uh, in ministry, then the likelihood is that your parish will have a church school. I've got two church schools in my patch. Others will be involved as foundation governors and things like that. So I thought it could be helpful to have a discussion about church schools, have a discussion about how we got here what they are there for the challenges getting involved in them but also the great benefits and opportunities for the gospel that there is in there so Andrew perhaps you might just start off by saying a little bit about your background and particularly what it is that you do on the board of education because I have to say that's one of the boards that most clergy seem to avoid like the plague
2: (laughs) hey thanks for teeing that one up for us Chris So, Andrew Towner, I'm Vicar of Houghton and Kingmore up in Carlisle, north end of Carlisle, uh, seven miles off the Scottish border. So if you've got a friend eloping to Gretna Green, uh, tell me to put the kettle on. They can pop into me just before they get there. Uh, We've got uh, three congregations in two church buildings here. Uh, Back in the 1930s, the Church of St John's in Houghton was used to plant into some new build, and that became St Peter's Kingmore. And about six years ago, we planted another congregation called For Life. meets at 4 p.m. and it's for life, not just for Christmas, uh, just like a dog. And it's about for life in all its fullness in Jesus Christ. And uh, we've got plans and hopes and desires to plant a couple more congregations in the next coming years. uh, As a parish, we've got a real variety in the sense that we're partly suburban and partly Cumbrian village. And we've also got a lot of variety in people we're seeking to reach. So we're committed to being a growing family of thriving congregations as we seek to uh, never change the message, but be willing to change the method for the sake of reaching the lost. And I'm blessed to be in a diocese which is historically uh, evangelical and orthodox. Uh, So it's not one of the hardest dioceses to serve in as a member of church society. And so in 2017, Bishop James asked me to be his chair Of the board of education, so I've been doing that now for just over four years, and uh, it's a great opportunity. And we'll we'll get more into that. Um, My background, personally, was in teaching, so I read maths at Bristol, um, which I I just about survived, and wasn't sure what to do. I used to feel slightly allergic to all the conversations where people said, "You know, what are you going to do when you've finished university?" and All the sort of careers advice one got at school used to feel like a long time away. And so I wasn't sure what to do. So I took a gap year teaching at a specialist school down in Kent, a specialist with uh, people with autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia and various different um, sorts of special needs, which was a wonderful time. And that confirmed that teaching is a great thing to do. And I really enjoyed it. So I then got a full time job teaching in Brentwood in Essex, where I taught for four years and was heavily involved in a local church. And people kept on encouraging me um, that when I I was teaching the Bible or doing other sorts of ministry, they were were finding that useful. So they encouraged me to go into full-time ministry, which was a real wrench because when you're in a school, you're in a community. And as Christians, we long to live in real community with people who are not yet Christians. And so the big thing that I felt I gave up when I left teaching to go to Bible training and go to Vicar College, was I left behind me that real uh, community and those deep relationships with those who were skeptics or atheists or agnostics or Muslims or Jews or Hindus or whatever. Um, And so I left there in in 2003. Um, But that was my big reflection. Um, Going to Bible College was how hard it was to keep up those real relationships with unbelievers, Um, which I believe that those of us who are ordained have to give a lead in doing. Um, So I try and make sure in every context where I am that I'm always reading the Bible with someone who's not a believer. If I'm not, that's right at the top of my prayer list. And as an Anglican, it's quite easy. People ring up to get their children baptised. They don't realise they're ringing up to invite themselves on a Christian Explored course, Um, but that's what they are doing, so that's what we do. Uh, But I also try and make sure I'm doing evangelism as Andrew, Um, so it's not just the guy with the dog collar on. But actually, it's my real friends. I've got real skin in the game when I invite people and we put on events or we do guest services or whatever. And I think a lot of that goes back to that experience of five years teaching before I was a vicar. So that was my background. I think that's why James asked me to take on the board of education.
1: So, so what I've been putting words into your mouth, anyway, I was saying that for you, one of the great benefits of having church schools is that it is that place of encounter. It it opens an avenue for us to engage with people that ordinarily in the course of ministry you might not come across.
2: Oh, absolutely. So around the county um, in Cumbria, we've got some people who are heavily committed to church schools and they think they're wonderful. And we've got many people who just think it's crazy, think I'm absolutely wasting my time doing what I'm doing on the Board of Education. And sometimes they phrase it more strongly than that. Um, And I normally say to them, well, you tell me how you connect with the unbelievers in your community. What works for you? And most vicars, most church wardens, most laity say, oh, it's really difficult. Really difficult. And I say, well, why not spend three years as a school governor? And then you'll know all the grannies, all the grandmas, all the parents, all the kids in the whole village. Now, is that not worth three years? And I I, I find that that's a really interesting conversation because those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ and long to see him glorified in salvation and not in judgment, are gonna to want to connect really and truly with those around us. So if people are doing that connection well, then God bless them. But many people aren't, many people real strugg- really struggle. And I just say to them, well, why not, try the ch- why not try the school? By the way, I'm a big fan of church schools, but I'm a big fan of involvement in all schools. And I think you can make this argument just for involvement in mm-hmm. schools in general. Yeah. So
1: for you, then, it's not simply that engagement with the the children who happen to be at the school, but it's that wider school community of of parents or grandparents or carers and, and staff, I guess, as well. But that kind of so it's not simply standing up and doing an assembly in school. It's much more trying to engage with its um, with the fringes around the school.
2: Absolutely, the Bishop of Coventry, when he became Bishop of Coventry, realised that he hadn't had very much experience with schools. And he spent a lot of time visiting them and off the back of that wrote a grove booklet and his grove booklet is called head teachers as community pastors and he he makes the point which i would i would totally agree with which is that for many parents their first point of call for help is head teachers so if that's true Mm -hmm. and we want to be community pastors what do we want to do so I think what we do in our schools is what we would do with almost any community. You can join the bowls club, you can join whatever club you want, what are you going to do? You're going to go and prayerfully be you, be real, be a really good friend, and you're going to seek to warmly talk about the Lord Jesus Christ whenever you get the opportunity. And in God's kindness here, um, all three of the schools I'm involved in in our parish, um, I basically am the community pastor, so I would just be the second or third call for anybody if there was anyone on staff who's having a problem. Um, God's been very kind in just, just blessing those relationships and it's been comparatively easy um, compared to other groups, which actually it's a bit harder to work out how you might get access to them really. But I just knock on the door now and go and see the head, how are you doing? What should I be praying for you? Is there any meetings you want me to sit in with you? Um, it's very, very easy.
1: So how? See, I've I've been chair of two church schools both at the same time. I've got two church schools in my patch. And I am uh, found that doing that, I spent an awful lot of my time looking at um, accounts, looking at the legislation changing, looking at um, one of mine was an Academy Trust. So there was all of that. And in a sense, I felt I was much more involved in the management of a business, um, but not particularly engaging with others around. You've got any sort of tips as to how you can keep the balance. You've got to know what's going on on that side of the school. Of course you do. But equally, how do you, do you engineer those kind of opportunities with staff or with the wider community?
2: Yeah, great question. So I think the first and obvious thing to say is that engaging with a community has a cost. So those of us who are seeking to be real friends to those who don't yet know Jesus has a cost to that. If your friend's a Chelsea supporter, you might have to sit down and watch Chelsea try and play football. It's absolute torture absolute torture. But you do it out of love for the person. Two hours of your life just wasted. You know, 22 people chasing some white thing around some big flat green area. And, you know, I quite like football, to be honest. and I watch football with my 11-year-old. But, but let's just be, be straight up. First of all, there's a cost to seeking to live in real relationship with those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for some, that cost is hanging out of theirs, um, sharing a beer and watching... Uh, chelsea uh, for some it's going to country and western gigs that you wouldn't normally go to for some it's you know going on a different holiday than you would normally choose to, um, eating different food that you normally choose to. This is a cost that we Christians are committed to paying, so what you describe there in terms of going through balance sheets it's just part of your cost of befriending those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now none of us can pay an infinite cost on that. But every disciple should be doing that at some point in their life, whether it's with their spouse, their children, their parents, or whomever. Secondly, I think there's a real wisdom in, in Christians having a good reputation. So you would be someone who reads the uh, figures and gets them right and is really clear on them. That's a good thing for the gospel if people think, you know, Christians are careful. These these guys are not just um, implausibly um, Um, dull-headed people who believe in the Sky Fairy but you know they they should respect us as as people who work hard. You know there's the the, the Colossians teaching on not just working when people can see you working but but working for the Lord. So there's something good about Christians turning up to meetings having read the paperwork and engaged with it. None of us have infinite time but it's not a waste of time to be honourable and to live in line with the book of Proverbs in God's world. And thirdly, I personally just try and stay on the committees that do the most good. So I chair the Curriculum and Pastoral Committee at Houghton School. Um, we've got wonderful people who do the finances. I'm engaged in that as one of the four or five senior leaders in the governors, but I don't spend hours and hours in finance meetings. But in our context, we've made sure that the finance follows the vision. So Curriculum and Pastoral set the vision, and then the Finance Committee get on with working out how to pay for it. And with my skill set, um, that works well. But if you're good, and by the way, I've got a degree in math, so I can can read the accounts. But I'd much rather spend time on the pastoral um, and the curriculum. But we need all sorts, don't we? And uh, my simple summary would be there is a cost to engaging with those who do not yet know Jesus. Um, And that cost is time and energy and money. And some of that could be paid in seeking to transform your local school for the good. That's not a wasted cost, I don't think. But none of us can do everything.
0: You're listening to the Church Society podcast, brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. Church Society supports local churches, ministers and Christians around the country through our publications ministry, books, a quarterly magazine, a theological journal, this podcast and a whole host of teaching resources in video, audio and print format. Our growing team of regional directors are available to support and encourage ministers and local groups. We organise a number of regular annual conferences, regional conferences and online webinars. We're involved in partnership with many other evangelical organisations in this country and around the world. We have regular prayer meetings and a prayer diary for members. In all of this, we're seeking to build a fellowship of believers We want to see the kingdom grow and the Church of England be reformed for the glory of God and the good of England. We'd love to have you join us. You can join us as a member or an associate and you'll find all the information about how to do that on our new website at churchsociety.org.
1: And you are going to switch focus slightly. And so I'm thinking now particularly about church schools. I take the point, it's a good point, about the importance of getting involved in any school. But most of us will have church schools somewhere nearby, and obviously there's a particular relationship that we have with them. Now, I have in my schools, I don't have any members of staff that I can think of who regularly attend church. And there is a sense that they want to teach in a nice school. I have nice schools. And the fact that it's a church school is, is just a kind of an, an added hurdle to sort of jump over. And the SIAM's inspection means you do a lot of box ticking. And there's a focus on and this irritates me, so I'm warning you. There's a focus on what is known as Christian values, as if we are now uh, have a religion that's all about deeds and works rather than about faith. So it's all about being nice to your neighbour and to be frank, a whole lot of stuff that frankly is just about being a decent human being. There's nothing particularly Christian about being hopeful or about being kind. I mean, you can get even get kind atheists. So when you've got this kind of almost like a veneer of Christianity, I have a slight concern that maybe it acts like an inoculation that the the children get or the students get just enough of. Uh, Christianity to make sure they don't catch the whole lot it's like a kind of vaccination so how do you work with that kind of situation what can you bring that that brings perhaps a fuller expression of the faith uh, rather than this kind of thin veneer which often I'm afraid we do seem to
2: find in church schools can I just say that I'm giving long answers but in my defense you're asking long questions (laughs) okay so let's just let the listener understand okay um golly so 17 different questions if i was a politician i'd answer none of them and just say something else but let me let me give it a stab and you, you push me back on some of these things sure there could there could be inoculation um that can happen in any contacts that that can happen happen in our pews um so i try and make sure that when i do assemblies they get the real gospel They get Jesus Christ alone. is the name under heaven by which people can be saved. Um, And if we're teaching the Bible, you know, we're doing memory verse at the moment in Houghton School. So that's the sword of the Spirit being put into the minds of 190 children and young people. Who knows what the Holy Spirit might do with that memory verse? You know, the songs that we sing with the words they've got, I can still remember one more step along the world I go. Um, even though I can't sing the last verse because it makes no jolly sense, I don't think God is ever old and ever new. But you know that's a different podcast. Um, so who knows what the Holy Spirit can do down the track with these uh, truths we're putting in people's minds? And there's almost nothing you can do to stop um, people being inoculated. There are many churches where you could say the same thing. So what we do is we prayerfully try and make sure that every church is teaching the whole gospel, and every school assembly is teaching the whole truth of the gospel. So I think you're absolutely right. There are points where um, it's just a facile veneer. Um, So go and teach the whole gospel. Go in at Christmas and say, there's only one king. He's the one that's lying in the manger. Bethlehem's full of babies, but there's only one who's the king of the universe. And you can tell which he is, says Luke, because he's the one in the manger. Make sure you go and bow to the right king. There's only one king. And we do stuff like that, don't we? And part of the cost of reading those, documents you were talking about earlier is getting that invite for Christmas and being able to say something really solid and significant um, gosh I've got lost in all the different questions now but um, Ruth Bishop Ruth down in Chichester uh, Bishop Ruth down in Chichester she um, she showed me a document a while back that that was basically encouraging those of us who are Christians involved in church schools to to look for Christian um, character traits that really are only Christian and define them in such a way that they really are only Christian. Um, so, although an atheist can be hopeful, once you drill down and tell what they're hoping for and on what basis they're hoping for it, you may not capture it in the ten words, but in the three sentence paragraph underneath them, you can capture it in such a way that it really is distinctively Christian. You know, earthed in real history, the Lord Jesus Christ, the real Jesus of history, and um, earthed into a new creation or kindness you know can be earthed in uh, christ's sacrificial death on the cross why would i be kind to a neighbor uh, why would i be kind to someone i struggle with why would i forgive and so uh, bishop ruth would encourage us to make sure our christian distinctives are explicitly christian and that might mean trying to sharpen them as warm as we can so that an atheist actually thinks oh yeah that is that's actually christian so i think that's the wisdom there
1: so a kind of sacrifice or a cross carrying or that kind of stuff which might not come naturally to most people. That, that kind
2: of thing you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Those of us who've been engaged in apologetics over the years, one of the questions I used to get asked 20 years ago is how could he be a Christian because of the Crusades? Mm. And I, I used to say, well, you certainly can't be an atheist because of the gulags. And normally. You know, normally that's the end of the conversation, right? Because it's only a, it's only something that the the unbelievers really just trying to get at you as a Christian. It's not a serious thing. Very few atheists that I meet are ashamed of the Gulags. They don't feel any association with it at all, and they expect me to be ashamed of the Crusades. So I think we have to talk about what's real and what's true about Christianity. And obviously, in apologetics context, people ask three or four random questions before they ask you the real question and you earn some credibility. You know, If you prayerfully do well, they'll ask you the real question. You know, what about suffering? What about my aunt who's got leukemia or whatever? And often the previous questions are warm-ups. So I think having things that are distinctively Christian. Do you know there was some research done um, in 2016, national research, 80% of parents want their children at a church school. 80% of parents nationally want their children at a church school. That's great. And there's a whole load of theology behind church schools. Um, a lot of it goes back. There's a lot of history. We could explore the history of church schools. People are surprised to know that the Church of England um, was involved in free education for all for over 50 years before the government got there. That's something to be really proud of. Um, and we could talk about some of the theology, William Temple's post-World War Two theology that, that led to a real refocusing of Church of England's schools and also, of course, the start of the NHS, the formalising and the growth of the NHS. It was a theology of common good. You know, his famous phrase that the church is the only institution which exists for the benefit of its non-members. You know, Lloyds Bank, you know, has to look after my money, thank you very much, and it may or may not have to look after your money, I don't know, you haven't got a say in public where where or whom you bank with. But for the church, one of my bugbears, I keep on saying it in our diocese, is that churches count the wrong numbers. So I've been campaigning for a few years in our diocese to, instead of counting average Sunday attendance, and instead of counting the electoral roll, the number that really matters is parish population minus average Sunday attendance. That's the number that really matters. So if we're going to get serious, let's let's get serious. So we're currently banning at minus 6,400 and something. That's the number that matters. Um, And there was a massive theology of that um, back in the 1940s and 50s um, with William Temple and others. But, you know, you read it today. I was at an event at Lambeth Palace a while back on education and Bishop Stephen from Ely, who who chairs this for the House of Bishops, read some of uh, a William Temple sermon and it was so contemporary. Now, we may have lost those opportunities in church. Who knows how the next five or ten years will go? Uh, There's so many more pressing things. But certainly Archbishop Justin is seeking to encourage the Church of England to be committed to the common good So one of the lines with Church of England schools is deeply Christian, serving the common good. And it's church schools for all, for Jesus' sake. So he's got some really pithy little one-liners in there that are very helpful. And the Church of England vision for education is built around wisdom, hope, community, and dignity. It's a wonderful document. It's a really inspiring document. And uh, a number of head teachers have said to me, you know, this is why I get out of bed every morning. And, and I had phone calls from community school heads saying, can we use this? I said, yeah, I'd love to come in and teach your staff team all about it. Just get me in the diary and I'll come and talk to them about it. Because schools are committed to not only knowledge, but wisdom, knowledge, and skills. So we do need to learn times tables. I was a math teacher, but we need wisdom. And we can talk about where we find wisdom. And you have a great conversation with agnostics, atheists, and all sorts about that. And we can talk about how we find wisdom in Christ, wisdom in the scriptures that point to Christ. Uh, hope and aspiration, the you know, west coast of Cumbria, you know, aspiration is not high. What would it look like to be a more aspirational community? And on what basis can we find hope? Where is the root of our aspiration? And then community and dignity, I think, are very importantly two sides of the same coin. So when I teach on those, I talk about the fact that community is all of us living well together. Humans are built to live in community. We see that right from the beginning of the Bible. And we can teach children and young people that we're significant members of the community. So I stand up in front of 380 children at one of our local schools and say, what would happen to Carlisle if each one of us not only never dropped any litter, but every day picked up one piece of litter? Every, every single person is an influential member of the community. We can learn that. Um, there's not an explicit verse in Proverbs, but that's not a bad thing to talk about, because the next question is, well, why should I bother? Because it's a right, you know, who wants to go around picking up litter? Why should I bother? Well, that's a great conversation. So community. And I would would, would speak with young people and say, you know, if you walk into my lesson and smile, that makes it a better lesson for 29 children. You walk into my lesson and frown and and cross your arms, that makes it a worse lesson for 29 children. We are all influential members of a community. So that's the community thing. And then dignity is the, the value and the importance of every individual made in the image of God. And really importantly, those two have to be held together. Because one of the things we see sometimes in public discourse is individuals trying to almost hold the community to ransom by guilting them into doing or saying or or pretending to believe things they don't really believe. Um, And we we can't have the community trampling the dignity of the individual, nor the individual claiming dignity and seeking to trample or or, uh, pressure wrongly pressure the the community. There has to be an interplay between those two things. And to see that, you've only to look at the difference between China and the West. You know, China, community trumps individual, and the individual is simply subservient to the community. The church would never be that. There's a danger sometimes, I think, in some of our public discourse in the West, where we haven't learnt how individuals get to express their dignity, but also recognise their they're one They're one person that's within a wider community. And I think that's a great place to learn it at school. So when I do assemblies on that, we, we talk about arguments. You know, many of our kids are hurt by the fact their parents are arguing at home. Why, why do we teach our kids how to be really good at having arguments? Why do we teach our kids so that when if there's ever a Brexit debate in their generation, they learn how to say the best of the opposition? You just don't hear it, do you? You don't hear it in the news you don't hear it in newspapers you know when's the last time you read the Guardian say you know the best article in the Telegraph yesterday was or when's the last time the Telegraph said the best article in yesterday's Guardian was they just don't say it when's the last time you and we can teach that in schools Uh, Confucius has a saying if your plans for one year plant rice Um, if your plans for 10 years uh, plant a tree if your plans for 100 years train children so my question is what do you want Cumbria to be like in 100 years time you want to change Cumbria Get in all the schools right now and teach them how to love people different to them. And when it's hard, say, do you know what? I find it hard too. And that's why I need Jesus' help in my life. You know, if we want to change the world, it's changing children. Easy.
1: Andrew, I'm going to ask you an easy question at the end, but before I get there, one which isn't. Um, There's, in my... Particular personal ministry. It's the schools where I come up most sharply against what you might call the wider society's values, and in all of that, the sharpest point um, in recent years is is over personal relationships, is over sexuality, and you'll be aware of the various curriculums which are coming out or being promoted by various organisations to to deal with uh, to help schools deal with all of that and personal relationships. How, how does a Christian keep a, a witness on what are very hot topic, hot button topics at the moment where you may find a school adopting a policy that you don't think really is, is biblical or right? Because in a sense, you're there to give the biblical witness. But on the other sense, this is a state funded school. So it's only fair that the state has its say in that as well. So those kinds of issues. Have you got any wisdom on any of that?
2: Oh, brother. I mean, get on a, get on a Living Out local course is my best bit of wisdom. So Living Out, wonderful ministry, led by Ed Shaw, co-chair of the Church of the Evangelical Council. They do these wonderful local courses. I went on one not that long ago, and they're really, really excellent. One of the points that Ed made was that in the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and 90s, uh, the church really got it wrong. And one of the reasons that people um, culturally have been so one so to uh, the gay lifestyle has been seeing the way that gay people loved each other. And and in Ed's words, the church walked by another side. You know, We probably preach sermons about not walking by another side. But where were the Christians saying, these people are precious to the Lord, made in his image, and they deserve death with dignity? Where were we? We were nowhere. We were nowhere. It was awful. So one, one way we can learn how to engage today is to look back at the past and spot our mistakes. I was saying earlier that sometimes we're, 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 we're made to feel embarrassed about being christians and uh, david cameron used that phrase about being on the right side of history and one of the reasons i think being involved with schools is great is because it's a great opportunity to talk about christians being really on the right side of history to talk about shaftesbury With his involvement with the ragged schools union you know Shaftesbury because he believed that human beings were made in the image of God was engaged with the way that lunatics were treated was engaged with the issues around opium was engaged with the the 10-hour act in terms of um, how much work children and young people could be required to do we're talking in the 1830s here Um, since 1811 you've had the national society um, which is how the church of England's been been involved but before that the Sunday school movement people like Robert Rakes And one of the things I love doing with our kids is teaching them about these wonderful Christians. You know, Rosa Parks was a Christian. So are we embarrassed about being Christians? What, Shaftesbury and Rakes and Rosa Parks and Wilberforce? And I just think we've totally lost that as an evangelical church. And I think we could say, look, we've got some things wrong and we're gutted about them. Like, I'm gutted about the way that some some people who are gay were treated in the 80s and 90s. I'm I'm utterly, utterly appalled by it. but that doesn't mean that Christians have always been awful. And so we can talk about some of those things. I love doing assemblies on those things. So, how do we engage? Well, this is where I take a slightly different view than Archbishop Justin. So, a few months ago, Archbishop Justin talked about balancing grace and truth. Uh, and I just disagree with him on that. Because to do that is to imply that the truth is not 100% full of grace, nor that grace is 100% full of truth. Um, In Christ, in John 1, we meet the one who is full of grace and truth. So I don't think we want to balance grace and truth. I think we want to max out grace and truth. I want 100% grace and 100% truth. And I find them in Jesus, who speaks clearly on marriage, Matthew 19, endorses Genesis 2. Jesus is exactly clear who the author of Genesis 2 is. And he doesn't refer to J, E, D, or P in my reading of Matthew 19. Okay, So Jesus has got a clear teaching on marriage. He is the infinitely compassionate man. And so it's out of humility that we stick with his teaching. I don't think I can be more compassionate than Jesus. I believe he was and is the most compassionate man in the history of the world ever. So the best way to be compassionate is to stick with his teaching on marriage. What do we do that in schools? How do we do that in schools? Well, we've got Romans 13, Titus 3. We submit to the law. But certainly in our context here across our county, Bishop James and I are both very clear on the biblical historic uh, Orthodox teaching on marriage, when we appointed our new director of education a couple of years ago, uh, we asked all the candidates how they would stick with the Church of England's clear historic teaching on marriage in the context of all the changes of law. And so we have made sure that all our staff are really briefed up on this. And so I'd say to people who are struggling with it, people who are listening in, I say connect with your um, your Diocesan Board of Education and see what their policies are. Make sure that we're not planning to walk by another side. Make sure that same-sex trans people we know, know that we love them and that we're for them. Now, the same is true for transgendered people. You know, make, sure, make sure they know that they're really welcome in your house. Have they come around for tea? Do you really know these people? I, I know a good percentage of the trans people in, in Carlisle and we've had family picnics with them and I've connected with them and I've, I've I, you know, hung out with them. They're friends, and they would call me a friend. Um, you know. And that's so important, isn't it? Because the danger is sometimes I think the church, and I'm sure I've done this as well, sometimes the church is basically, we've really got our communication wrong because we're, we forget that we're talking both to the people in the room and the people out of the room. And I'm sure I get this wrong as a preacher. Um, but there's two questions, and we need to distinguish them. So what is the... What, what would the Bible say to someone who's considering transitioning their gender? Is a different question to, what do you think about transgender people? And the danger is when we ask the first, we're overheard as if we're answering the second. So we need to go into our meetings with our, with our schools and with our churches, confident that Jesus is the most compassionate man in history, full of grace and truth, and we're gonna stick with him, and committed to living within the law as much as it's possible. And I think in many of our schools, that's a bit of a surprise. Oh, you don't hate gay people? No, quite the opposite. And by the way, if they were my enemies, I'd be committed to prayerfully dying for them because I'm a Christian. Well, there's a conversation.
1: Thanks. So the, the softball question at the end, people have been listening and thinking that they've caught some of the, the towner enthusiasm for for schools, generally church schools as well. How? Three or four different ways, perhaps, that people can get involved. I mean, there's governance is one, but there must be other ways as well that people can support their local school and, and witness the Christ within it.
2: Brilliant. Um, yeah, pick pick one. Knock on the door and say, "How can I help?" is the is the easiest one, isn't it? So um, just go and say hi. Teachers are shattered. Um, everybody shattered, but teachers had a really tough eighteen months so uh, bake some bake some cookies and drop them in i mean it 's different primary and secondary schools, and it 's different small primaries and, and large secondaries It, it is different. Um, our, our oldest has just gone to secondary school there 's parent teacher association, so you can see if you can get involved in that. You could just drop the head teacher a note and say hey you know, i 've been really encouraged that there could be some real positive differences that we could add to your school Is it ever useful to have someone who comes in and reads with people uh, we 've got a um, a number of our retired folk in one of our church communities um, will go and read with children. I mean, they haven't gone back in the last year or two, obviously, but we just go and read with them. And we found that it blesses those older people and it blesses those children. We've got a, a gentleman who's a police officer and he goes and reads with kids. Lots of kids don't have dads that will listen to them, don't have dads that will read books with them. If you're a bloke and you've got a spare 45 minutes, sometime, once a fortnight, you could really transform for good the lives of kids. 45 minutes having these young boys and girls learn that blokes listen to them and smile at them and say, well done. I mean, that's wonderful. For some people, it's governance. For some, it's tray bakes. For some, it's just dropping a postcard to their teacher. I mean, how many thank you letters do we think our teachers get on a weekly basis? <laughs> I'm a vicar. I, I, could, I could give you a round number. You know, I get one or two. We've got some lovely folk here. So I just think, in one sense, once you decide you want to be involved, you just, just pick one. Um, make sure it's on your prayers at church, Uh, make sure it's on your personal prayer list. Um, But I got involved in one of our schools when they had a really bad Ofsted and I thought to myself the head teacher must be having a horrible time and so I made an appointment and went and knocked on her door and you could see from her face what the majority of the meetings were like because she was just being told off for everything and I just said hi I'm Andrew, I used to be a teacher, I'm now the local vicar, is there anything I can do to help? I said, some of your meetings are going to be pretty awful right now. If I sat in the corner with my dog collar on and smiled, i bet those meetings wouldn't be quite as bad. Would that be useful to you at all? Just let me know. And for the sake of a couple of half hours sat in a study, suddenly I'm a governor and I'm on all these committees and I'm, I'm having input on the school's ethos and vision and values and we're writing curriculum policies and I get to chair the appointment of a head teacher. And we managed to appoint a head teacher from a church school to come into this community school and transform it. All for knocking on someone's door and saying, you're having a tough time, can I help at all? so traybakes, postcards, prayers, governor, reading reading with kids, uh, running activities, volunteering on school trips. We get emails all the time saying can three or four parents come and help on the school trip just to keep up numbers, get a day out on a bus. I mean it's not very peaceful because it's full of kids but you know it's wonderful. So I think it all comes back to where we started which is actually a commitment to the community outside us and there's a cost to that. Now not everybody can pay every cost. Some of our folk they volunteer at Brunton Park and they're volunteer stewards that's great. So we're not saying to them, you've got to go and do schools as well. But we look around our, school, our church, you've got 100 plus people or something, around about 100. If everybody's got one or two engagements with the real community, with those who are really not yet believers, if everybody's got one or two, then your church is having a really wide and wonderful impact. And for some people, trade bake once a month to the staff team, that's great, with a little thank you card on top. That's all.
1: Andrew, thank you very much. That, that's great. Baking, tray baking to the glory of God. I'm sure we could all engage with some of that. So I'm happy to taste test
2: things. I, if anybody wants to send things through, I'll, I can give some marks. Can we uh, do that for Church Society? We can do a Church Society, the Bake Off. Surely we can do this. I, I'm sure that's something which could at least be suggested. The
1: great <laughs> Church Society
2: Bake Off. I'm committed. Indeed. I'm committed to this. Chief Judge.
1: Well, hopefully you've had one or two things, one or two things that might uh, inspire you to get involved with schools. It's an enormous opportunity. And if you have church schools uh, near you as well, then the doors really are open. So you've heard what's been said. Perhaps uh, you feel the Lord calling you to something of that, that great range of ways which you can help, that great range of ways you can get involved. So simply get involved. Andrew, thank you very much.
2: Pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well.